This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Listening to Nuts from the Underground, and my guest today, hopefully, should be Chris Ford. Chris, are you online? Can you hear me, Chris? Chris, can you hear me? This isn't looking promising. This is what actually happened last time, and so I tried to chat with someone. Uh, basically, um, give it a go again. Hello, Chris. No, it just doesn't seem to actually like it. Um, look, I'm going to go to a song and I'll see if I can actually get Chris um, an old-fashioned way. Hello, Chris, can you hear me? Hello, Chris, can you hear me? Yes, we can indeed. Uh, excellent. I don't know what went wrong there, but we've got you on uh, air and so on now. So that I, was a, that, I had my um, headset on, but no. <laughs> so that, 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 that's okay. We had a bit of personality crisis there by the um, New York Dolls, which probably explains really this program and so on as well. So, so basically, thank you for actually joining me um, and so on today. And um, now, first of all, I just want to make it very clear. I, I, I actually was in Dunedin last week and I actually interviewed Chris and Chris and I had a, a very good, I think a very productive chat. And then through a bout of Alzheimer's, I ended up by managing to erase it. So my apologies, first of all, to Chris and to the audience and so on because we, we actually I felt covered quite a lot of things so what we wanted to talk about today was essentially jumping Joe Biden uh, that's who I've named him of course um, Chris will be familiar with the um, jumping Joe DiMaggio well this one is jumping Joe Biden and really the amazingly well it's amazingly surprising progressive element of the 45th United States president I think he's 46. 46, that's right. Trump was 45, yes. How could we ever forget Donald Trump? We try and try and try, but we just can't, can we? So Chris and I were actually talking about uh, Joe Biden, and in fact, you know, how surprising and we were that, in fact, he was so progressive. And your thoughts, Chris, take up, hopefully, from when we left off on Sunday. Of course. Or Saturday. Joe Biden, of course. Joe Biden, I think, has been a surprise, as you say, in terms of his progressiveness. For one thing, he's introduced, for example, higher tax increases on the most wealthy Americans. He's also instituted a program of massive Keynesian-style public spending, particularly on infrastructure. America, like New Zealand, has an infrastructure crisis of second magnitude perhaps greater than New Zealand's own infrastructure crisis. To that end, Biden has pledged $4 trillion. That is $4 trillion 
to actually address the crisis. As well as that, he's also increased welfare payments to families and individuals. He's extended unemployment benefits to people who've been particularly laid off because of COVID. Of course, America has a more minimalist welfare state compared to New Zealand for historical reasons. Nonetheless, Biden's welfare measures have been welcomed by many in America who have been massively laid off due to COVID. Now, the the, the reason is, is actually so surprising, as you and I were discussing, was that basically, of course, Biden has been what in the in the uh, what was it in Congress since I think the nineteen seventies, and during that time, he hasn't really been you know struck me as one of the more progressive Democrats. And then, of course, he was vice president under under Obama. Uh, he had some relationship and so on with the Clintons, and so. He is seeing us, I think, a reasonably safe pair of hands, but yet, you know, he, he's diverted, well, he's he's diverged quite a bit from that sort of Clinton-esque um, Obama sort of um, regime. I think as I was saying to you on Saturday, that's because of COVID-19. COVID-19 has actually changed people's views and perceptions of the state mm. from being a Reaganite, Thatcherite, minimalist small state to one which is actually needed to be more interventionist due to the dual health and economic crises that have faced America and indeed the world. So in our own country as well. So in one sense, you could say that Biden is sort of like um, FDR, who up to the point and so on, up to the 1920s, was still seen as an established Democrat at that point in time. But of course, you know, the Great Depression and what happened and so on there really sort of focused him to become more of a, an advocate and so on for federal spending and, and federal investment. And Biden was sort of in that line. I think he's very much in that vein, actually. Mm. I think he's seen the crisis. He sees the opportunity, and I think he's been largely successful so far. Insofar as I understand it, the investment package, the $4 trillion spending package, has passed Congress. I think the welfare package also passed Congress. That was despite Republican attempts to obstruct it. However, the Democrats adopted very good parliamentary tactics I've learned from the past under both Obama and Clinton, when, for example, Clinton had his health care plan scuppered by the Republicans back in the 1990s. I think they've learned to how to deal with Republicans, and in particular in a Congress where the Democrats don't hold a great deal of advantage over the Republicans at all, if you see the numbers in both the House and the Senate. I think that's an amazing tribute to the real majority that the Democrats have gained in their dealings with the Republicans in terms of being able to stand up to them, being able to deploy parliamentary tactics, which actually has actually meant that they've been able to pass a largely progressive program. Yeah, not quite. Of course, as, as we were discussing the other day, of course, um, essentially the Democrats and so on did lose two significant votes and so on very recently um, around the filibuster, of course, uh, to actually stop that. And also 
um, basically the other one, of course, on, on democratic rights. You know, essentially the, Democ- the Republicans, of course, are trying to change voting rights in a number of the key states. That was a bit of a knockback. But it, 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 Biden doesn't seem to have let that actually stop him from actually pressing forwards. No, not at all. I think that they're still very determined to deal with the Republicans. At the moment also, it must be remembered that the Republicans are undergoing a regressive transformation in the sense that many Republicans actually are following Donald Trump rather than any of the establishment Republicans, for example, the likes of Um, Mitt Romney and Ted Cruz, for Mm. example and other establishment Republicans. So therefore, I think that that regression within the Republican Party it may mean that they become more unelectable well, over I mean, time. Well, I mean, let, let's talk a bit about Trump, um, basically, for for a couple of moments. I mean, because you've, you mentioned the fact that the extent to which Donald Trump has actually taken over the Republicans and, you know, now is, what was it, the last I heard of the weekend, I think you and I were talking about it, was the fact that he's vowed, of course, to get even with those Republicans who try to do the decent thing and, and get, you know, impeach him. And so now he's speaking at rallies and so on for their opponents to actually get rid of them. Can you see the 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 Republicans actually uh, basically being able to actually get rid of Trump? I mean, what will be the effect on the Republican Party if they don't? Well, I think at the moment Trump is in the ascendant within the Republican Party because there's no other sort of valid opponent sort of trying to weigh in against him. He's really bullied everyone that is Trump into acquiescence. However, on the other hand, there is the consideration that in by 2024, he, Trump could meet his legal end because of the fact of, of, that he's facing so many lawsuits mm. that one is bound to see him either jailed or bankrupted, therefore ending any possibility that he'll run for office. I think it's more likely that he will go down for some sort of state felony. Federal felony, I don't know, but what they call state felonies in America. I think Mm. in New York there's a major tax investigation, and that's likely to result in prosecution being brought against him. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It would um, also, of course... um, I mean, the the other option then could be, of course, you know, is the uh, one of Donald's sons, uh, either Eric or Don Jr., actually then trying to take up the mantle and stand as the Republican presidential candidate. Though they wouldn't have the same mantra of you know mantle, of course, as their their father. Of course, that's right. I think they wouldn't have the same aura that is his sons amongst Donald Trump's base, really. Mm. No. And that, that base is still very powerful, which is, of course, why you're getting people like Ted Cruz trying to openly pander to it, to it and, um, you know, basically present himself as sort of like the hair anointed and so on by Donald Trump. That's right. He's one of the Republican establishment, mm. but he's acquiesced to the Trump juggernaut, really, because he's got no other choice but to do so. 
the however the a sort of more established Republicans such as Jeb Bush and others are probably going to stay out of the race in twenty twenty four. There could be a slew of state governors, moderate state governors like John Kasich in Ohio, mm. who is a lone opponent of Trump's. He's stayed out of the race in twenty twenty. However, it could be a different proposition come 2024. I mean, the, the worrying thing, of course, Chris, would be is if you got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, more of people like her actually getting in. Uh, for those who don't know, she is uh, basically a very solid Donald Trump supporter and a QAnon supporter and so on too, who has actually verbally attacked people who oppose her in the House and threatened them. Just as a bit she of an aside there. <laughs> she's certainly a lot of work. She's one of America's worst politicians. In fact, the worst politician in America. Actually, in the last 24 hours, I think I've seen on social media that she's attacked Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Again. And as she started, AOC. And AOC, who's the most progressive Democrat in the Congress, has come back again against Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think that Taylor Greene made some comments about the short stature, the size of AOC, but AOC said that uh, essentially she wouldn't stand up to her at any time. I think, I, 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 I think I saw a Twitter post from AOC that said I'm taller than she is or something like that. I can't that's remember how. It, yeah. That's it. I think, I think she was really, I mean, this Taylor Creed was really trying to denigrate her. She's really got a denigrated streak. She sort of reminds me to some extent of Judith Collins, but Judith is probably more strained yes. than perhaps many of the, on the American right. So and I, that includes Taylor Green. So, I mean, we've, restoring, you know, going back to, to a, a sane conversation, I mean, the Democrats do have AOC. They have the squad who are, of course, pushing progressive policies. And, of course, they've also got... Um, you know, as we discussed on Saturday and so on, though he wasn't appointed by the Democrats, but he's certainly there now as head of the Budget Committee in Senate. Of course, good old Bernie, um, who's basically said that, you know, he's going to use everything he can to actually push forward uh, uh, basically an alternative budget and so on against against the Republicans. He doesn't care and so on if he actually isolates the Republicans at all. I think that Bernie Sanders is a very good ally and is turning into a very good ally mm. of Joe Biden. In fact, he and Biden had a very good friendship in the Senate because it must be remembered that Sanders has been a senator for something like 20 years mm. now. And, of course, Biden has been in the Senate, as you said, Quentin, since the early 70s. So before he became vice president, Biden was in the Senate for that amount of time. He came to forge some very strong relationships with other senators, and they included with Bernie Sanders. I think that that's been very good for Sanders as well, who came second in the Democratic presidential race last year. Even though he didn't get the presidential nomination, he is he, Sanders has a very good, strong position in the House. Now there are some areas. Senate, sorry, he's got a very good 
congressional chairpersonship and a very influential one at that. Yes, indeed. Now, there are some areas, of course, where, where, where Jumping Joe is not performing that well. Of course, we talked about the stance in immigration and of course um you know and and the fact that he hasn't rolled back some of the trump era um and indeed the obama sort of era um stances on immigration that's right and there was evidence by the new u.s vice president going to guatemala and telling people there not to go to the united states that that was very, very disappointing, particularly from America's first female vice president, mm. Kamala Harris, who is of Indian and Caribbean ancestry, actually. Really, that's quite disappointing, given that also, as I said to you on Saturday, that the United States has been influential in creating the many social political and economic crises that have long beset Latin and Central America, where most refugees are originating from, who are going towards the US border. This has to be recognised as well, and the United States just can't absolve its responsibility in creating the refugee crisis that it now faces. Well, what do you think Biden's stance will be towards Cuba? I mean, that's probably the, one of the older American issues and so on there in that in that area. Essentially, he's continuing the same policy with respect to Cuba that other administrations have done. There was a noticeable softening under Obama, mm. who visited Cuba, that though didn't result that does it didn't result in any re relaxation of sanctions, but it didn't increase the levels of political and intercultural contacts between the United States and Cuba. Nonetheless, I think that the real problem lies in the electoral arithmetic. That it lies with Florida, where there are a high number of Cuban Americans mm. who live there. They they have a, a huge amount of electoral clout. Therefore, I think that if Biden is looking towards capturing Florida, which went Republican last time, he's going to have to hold to that Cuban American vote. He's going to need that Cuban American vote in order to be able to capture it. And of course nothing all those Cuban Americans want is essentially the complete expulsion really of the um of Castro and indeed the Castro inspired Communist Party of Cuba they just want it gone and rid of. Um well they want the communist regime gone. Yeah. That that's the case. However I must say that the yeah, Castro's the, the uh, Castro's brother retired yes. from his last role just very recently, uh, and that brought to an end the Castro brothers' rule over the island officially. Um, and yet, then the UN General Assembly just, I think, oh, just over a week ago, the UN General Assembly voted overwhelmingly for the lifting of sanctions uh, against Cuba. The two holdouts were, though, 
the U.S. and, and Israel? Israel ally Israel. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think I, re- I saw that in some somewhere. The um and two the the other area, of course, where Biden needs to improve, of course, was uh, we discussed too is the Green New Deal. Now that was promoted, of course, by some Democrats and so on, um, by the squad, by AOC, by Saunders and so on, and even by some centre Democrats at the last election. I mean, he's made some, you know, some attempts to actually bring environmentalism and indeed, you know, cl- and to combat climate change, but not, some would argue, enough. Well, he is a godfather, Arthur. He's made a good start, though. Mm. He, on his first day in office, signed a number of executive orders reversing the environmental nihilism of the Trump administration. Yet he has still to go further. He's, as Biden, as President Biden, he's really got to push the environmental elements of the Green New Deal. He has to really merge the concerns of unemployed Americans with those who are concerned about the environmental crisis by creating new clean energy jobs. That's been a mantra of past Democrat administrations, but they haven't fully carried through either, particularly under Obama. With the climate emergency, though, now reaching its apex and is predicted to within the next 10 years, Time is running out, and therefore I think that Biden knows that. He's got to really, I think, lean on his Democrat allies within Congress, such as Sanders, to really do the mahi, the work that's needed to bring about a congressional majority, both within the Democrat Party and perhaps a few swaying Republicans to bring that about. Mm. I mean, it could be argued that, of course, the last president who really sort of tried to do anything really environmentally or to, you know, deal with the looming environmental crisis, of course, was Jimmy Carter. And we're talking about 1977. That's right, when he made a famous speech and was sitting in his cardigan in the Oval Office. Yes. Extolling yep. the virtues of energy conservation. He was pilloried for that. He also installed the first set of polar, sorry, solar panels on the White House itself. Which Reagan stood, However, took down. However, they created of the environment, Ronald Reagan, and stripped them off again. Yeah. I think, though, that we still, I mean, Carter was really ahead of his time. I think that we now need a president who is of his time on the environment, and that's should be Biden. Well, and with those uplifting words, and um, Joe, um, Chris, I will thank you for tonight. And um, and again, my apologies. As I said to people, I actually recorded this and so on the other day, and then, what can you say, I erased it. So thank you, Chris. Keep warm down there against the polar blast. And, yes, um, I am. And I will hear well, from you next time. Thank you all. Most certainly. Thank you, and that was my comrade Chris Ford, um, and we're signing off and so on for this month's um, notes from the underground. Uh, as you've heard and so on from the Socialist Party, uh, sorry, uh, the Canterbury Socialist Society. It's a party. Um, basically, they are holding on July the thirteenth and so on a um, was a State of the Union to address these things. Were always very interesting, and of course, you know, it's something I've urged people and so on to actually go and attend. Um, also, if you want to know a bit more about my blog and generally my ideas and so on, do go to the notes from the underground 
Underground Facebook page, and you can subscribe and so on to that. With that, I'll bid you an adieu and hope you keep warm.